0: this year hasn't it a lot of things are different aren't they but in all these changes and all the differences that we've experienced this year one thing has remained the same and it always will we still need a savior we still need Jesus Christ whether you're saved or whether you're not yet saved we still need a Savior. If you were to interview someone on the street today, and you were to ask them, what do you think is our biggest problem? What kind of answers would, could you expect? I think that a lot of people would say, well, this coronavirus is our biggest problem. Some people might say, well, the, the political environment is our biggest problem. Or all the division between the various groups of people, those is our biggest problem. But you know, those things are, are just the symptoms of the biggest problem that we have. Your biggest problem and my biggest problem, whether you're saved or not, our biggest problem is sin. Sin. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. The word, one of the words for sin in the New Testament means to miss the mark. It is the idea, if you would, of an archer drawing back an arrow in his bow and letting it fly towards a bullseye. And instead of the arrow hitting the bullseye, the aimed at target, it falls short either right in front or to the left or to the right, or maybe even flies too high. But it misses the mark. That's the idea of this passage. All of us are missing the mark, the standard of God's perfect holiness. There's not a one of us that has hit the bullseye, nor one of us ever could. Here's how Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, explains it in that same chapter in some earlier verses, Romans 3. He says, well then, should we conclude that we Jews, and I'm just going to insert, because Paul is really talking about those of God's people, so I'm just going to say the God's people, or Christians, should we conclude that we as God's people are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Christians or not, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. All of these short little things that I just read... Paul is pulling out quotes from the Old Testament. And he's inserting them here to illustrate the condition that all humanity is in. And he sums it up in verse 19. He says, all of this is to show that the entire world is guilty before God. Take, for example, the Ten Commandments. Just a quick review, if you will. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any graven or carved image. I wonder, even as God's people, if you will, if what we have put before Him. What image or what object have we worshipped in, instead of God? Maybe your home. How much time we invest, how much money we invest in our home and its amenities. Or maybe our vehicle. How much time and attention and money we put in that. Or maybe it is our bank account or our investment account, our portfolio, and we're trying to build that up. And we're, we're constantly watching that and constantly vigilant, vigilant about how it's rising or, or how it might be falling. I wonder what God's, even God's people, have before him. You shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. That is using God's name carelessly, frivolously, or even in a cursing manner. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall work, do all your labor, but the seventh day is a day of rest, honoring God on his day not doing our own things, not worshiping ourselves or giving ourselves to our own selfish pursuits, but focusing our time one day a week on Him. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the earth. wonder how if long our days would be upon the earth if if we really looked at how we honored our moms and our dads, when we were, especially when we were younger coming up. But even now, as our older generation, how are they being cared for? How are, they, how are we, the midlifers, caring for our aging parents? Are we honoring them? You shall not commit murder. Well, hey, there's one I got down. I hadn't killed anybody. Yes, but Jesus amplified that command when he said, but if you've been angry and unforgiving towards your brother or towards someone you're guilty of murder in your heart. You shall not commit adultery. Well, hey, maybe there's another one I I can mark up that I haven't done, but yet still, you know, in the body of Christ, unfortunately, even among God's people, there are people who are committing physical adultery. They're sleeping with people who they're not married to either during their own marriage or before they're married. Or they may be committing spiritual adultery too, in and and that, that they're addicted to pornography. They're lusting after other people. Jesus said, you've committed adultery in the heart, then. You shall not steal. Well, I don't actually overtly take things that don't belong to me, but are God's people robbing him? Malachi 3 asked that question. The people of God said, Lord, how are we robbing? He said, will a man rob God? And they said, Lord, how are we robbing you? He said, with tithes and offerings. See, God said, I require 10% of your income. And, and some of us say, well, I can't afford that. How about if I start with two and work my way up? Well, 2% is disobedience. Partial obedience is still disobedience. So we're robbing God. And we think we can't afford it because what we have and what we have to pay for, our house, our car, our this, our that, our the other, is too big, too much. Because, and so therefore we are robbing God to pay for our stuff. Or we may bend the rules a little bit when it comes to filing our income taxes. After all, the government isn't spending it right anyway. Just let me keep this little bit. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. When's the last time that you talked bad about somebody? Maybe on your way to church. Maybe on your way home from church. Maybe it's a church member you just don't like. Maybe it's your coworker, Maybe it's your boss. Whether it's true or not, you're bearing a bad witness. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, and so on. Coveting. Comparing what you have to what others have and wishing you had more. You see, I think as we review these, we, we feel pretty sorry. You say, Brother Lee, this is a Christmas message? I don't feel very Christmassy right now. <laughs> That's kind of where we have to start for the Christmas message to really mean something. Because we're all guilty before God. And then, to add injury to insult, all that sin has a penalty. And the Bible says the penalty for sin is death. And that just doesn't mean physical death, which of course we all will have to go through, but it's also a spiritual death. It is a separation, if you would, of, from God. The Bible says in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, When the Lord Jesus appears from heaven, He will come with His mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from His glorious power. This is the consequence of our rejecting God and the penalty of our sin. You see, the best of us in here, but we're not supposed to compare ourselves with one one another, but the best of us in here deserves the same thing as everybody else in here. Which is the same thing, the worst sinner that you could have possibly imagined, uh, outside the house of God deserves what we all deserve is what I just read for you we all deserve to be forever separated from the Lord forever separated from his glorious power and flaming fire and and having the vengeance of God visited upon us that's what we deserve The Bible says in Revelation 20 that death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. And this lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recording in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. See, that's what I deserve, but by the grace of God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Many of you have received that gift. Many of you have made Jesus Christ your Savior and your Lord, and you know that you have been delivered from that penalty. But you know, having Jesus as Savior is not a one-and-done thing. It is in the sense of you give your life to Jesus and you are saved once and for all. But even saved people, even Christian people, still need a Savior. Let me ask you something, Christians, Baptist church members. <clears throat> did you sin this week? Y'all don't want to say, do you? Okay, so somebody asked me. Did you this week? My wife, of course, is going to ask me that. <laughs> what is this? You think it's your birthday or something? Yes. Actually, it is. But um, yes, I did. I could even tell you what it is, embar- would, but would be embar- embarrassed to tell you. Do I still need a Savior? I'm, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven when I die, but do I still need a Savior? I do. Because that Savior who saved me once from hell still needs to save me and, and rescue me from when I sin still today. To deliver me from the ongoing sins and temptations in my life i still need a savior because the bible says in romans chapter eight this one may not be on the screen but it says for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit he said to be fleshly or carnally minded is death if i continue to focus my life and my mind and my thoughts even as a person of god as a as a believer in god if i'm just living for the things of this world that leads to death See, the wages of sin is death. If I keep on in my sin and say, oh, well, I'm going to heaven when I die, it doesn't matter what I do, then that leads to death. I don't enjoy the life that God wants me to have and enjoy here with Him. Sin's penalty, our greatest need, I mean, our greatest problem, sin, and its penalty, which leads us to our greatest need. You've probably read this before. You've heard it. It's not original with me. But if our greatest need had been information, and man, information is growing at a rampant rate, is it not? You can't keep up with all the information that's coming and it's at, a, at your fingertips on that little device you hold in your hand. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need addressed our greatest problem. And if our greatest problem is sin, then our our greatest need was forgiveness. And therefore, He sent us a Savior who is Christ. The Lord. And when He sent that Savior, He gave us the greatest gift to meet the greatest need because of our greatest problem. What did God send us? He sent us a Savior. Brian read that verse a moment ago. For There is born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Don't miss those two little words. For there is born to you. To you. Jesus Christ was born to you. Had you been the only sinner in this world, but we know you're not. Christ would have come for you. Have you received him as your personal Savior? Yes, he came for the whole world, but he came to you. Have you made him your Savior? Have you asked him to forgive your sin? 1 John four fourteen says, And we have seen and testified that the Father sent the Son as the Savior of the world. See, God sent Jesus to save every individual in the whole wide world. And you're one of those persons. And there is only one Savior. There are many religions. There are many faiths. There are many would-be gods. And you can search them. That is your prerogative. God's not going to stop you. If you want to search all the religions of the world and see if you can find a better God and a better better Savior, God will not stop you. Because He knows you won't find a Savior. You won't find a God who can forgive your sin. You'll find many gods who will tell you that you have to Do this and do that and do this and do that. And maybe, just maybe, at the end of your life, just maybe, you'll get to go and have some heavenly existence. Maybe. No guarantees. You need to work really hard and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you need to pay for your own sin. You'll find many gods and many faiths and many religions that will tell you that, but you won't find a Savior like Jesus. You won't find a single God... A single faith whose leader sacrificed his life and shed his blood and took the full wrath and the penalty of sin on himself like Jesus did. There's no faith in the world that teaches that except ours. There's only one Savior and his name is Jesus Christ. Isaiah 43, God said, I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. And Hosea, he said, I am the Lord, your God, ever since the land of Egypt, and you shall know no God but me, and there is no Savior besides me. In Acts four twelve, Peter, and in the very first sermon, I should say the very second, the second sermon he ever preached, he said these words, there is salvation and no one else, no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And then Paul wrote to young Timothy in chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. He said, For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. In other words, there's only one who stands between sinful man and holy God. There's only one. Like I said, you can search the religions, you can go, you have that prerogative. But I will tell you, don't waste your time. You won't find a mediator who stands between sinful man and holy God except Jesus Christ. You won't find one. You'll find many would-be's, good teachers, humanitarians, self-sacrificers, who gave up themselves to serve human beings. But you won't find A Savior who stands between sinful man and holy God and became everything that we were so we could become everything He is. The Bible says He became sin who knew no sin that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. You won't find anybody else but Jesus who did that. There's only one Savior. Now why did Jesus come? Now you think about this. I have the privilege. I have had the privilege And the blessing to be born into a Christian home. My dad was a... uh, I wasn't born into a pastor's home, but my dad was called into the ministry when I was three years old. But I was raised in church. I, I was brought to the nursery as a baby in church. And my dad became a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I was raised up in a Christian home. Had a great upbringing. Had a great childhood. And if I had to choose... If we could reverse time and I could start all over, I'd want it the exact same way. But I guarantee I wouldn't choose to reverse time if I had to go back to be born, let's say, in a third world country. To pagan parents who would never heard about God or who worshipped another God, would-be God. And raised in abject poverty. I I wouldn't choose that. Would you? Maybe for some of you that was your childhood. If you could reverse time, and and some of you had some very difficult childhoods. Maybe you you had an abusive parent. Maybe you had a godless parent. Would you reverse time and go back to that? You probably wouldn't. Think about this Jesus, whose father was God, preexistent with God, and was God, the Bible tells us, had the perfection of heaven, was worshipped by the angels, had no need, had no sickness, had no temptation, had no need whatsoever, left all of that to come here. And when he got here, there was political upheaval, Disease was rampant. People hated each other. They were under an oppressive government. And that's what he stepped into. Why? Why would he do that? The answer is found in his name. The angel appeared to Joseph, Mary's fiance, in Matthew one twenty one, and said, She's going to have a son, and you're to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus simply means Savior. It could be translated God is my salvation, but simply put, it means Savior. Jesus, Savior. Why did he come? To save us from our sin. Jesus said of himself in Matthew eighteen eleven, The Son of Man has come to seek I love this part. Don't don't miss that verse. Sometimes we we get all caught up in the second word, save the lost. But that first word, seek the lost. He pursues those who don't know him. In fact, Jesus told one of the sweetest parables in all the scripture as he told about this man who had a hundred sheep. One of them strayed away, one of them was lost. This man left the ninety-nine all by himself, themselves in the fold, and he went in pursuit of the one sheep. And when he found that sheep, he rejoiced, and he got all of his neighbors to rejoice. And then Jesus made this statement. He said, there's more joy in heaven over the one who was found than over the ninety-nine who didn't need finding anymore. Now, that may offend you if you're a believer and you've been a Christian for many years and you're a church member. But it ought to encourage you because there was a time in your life when you were the one. There was a time in my life when I was the one and he came after me. And he still is pursuing to save those who are lost. Paul wrote to young Timothy again. He said, here's a trustworthy saying. This is something in other. Words, here's, here's a modern way of saying what Paul just said. You can take this one to the bank. You can put this one in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> this, this is a trustworthy saying. Not that I advocate smoking. Okay, don't anybody give me any emails about that. I don't advocate smoking, okay? That's just an old saying. It's a trustworthy saying. You can take this one to the bank. I guarantee you. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came. To save sinners. He didn't come to destroy sinners. Luke 9:56, an interesting account happened. God's people, his very own disciples. There were some a group of Samaritans that uh, would not receive Jesus. And um, the disciples, you know how spiritual they were, kind of like you and me. Lord. Shall we call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Now, let's be honest. How many of you know some people that you really dislike? Maybe they're in a political position. Maybe they're your boss. Or maybe they just hurt you over and over and over again, and you just can't stand them. And if you had the power, wouldn't you just like to call down fire from heaven and go... You're a smoke dude. Now, I did have one church member, one deacon in the early service who raised his hand and said, Yeah, I'd like to do that. I said, Thank you for your honesty. But we're just too spiritual to say that, aren't we? But you know good and well, if you had the power, some of you would want to do it. That's what Jesus' disciples said. And here's what Jesus said. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what manner of spirit you're of. In other words, that's the devil talking. He says, I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save them. You think of the worst sinner you could possibly think of? He wasn't sent to destroy that sinner. He was sent to save that sinner. He doesn't come to condemn. A lot of people think, God, is just some big thing in the sky that's just waiting for you to mess up so he can strike you with a bolt of lightning? That's not the purpose of Jesus at all. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish. That is to die and be separated from God but shall have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him may be saved. You see, destruction and condemnation, those are works of the devil. Jesus said, the, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I've come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Some would say, well, yeah, well, he may not be wanting to destroy me or condemn me, but I guarantee you he's judging me. I don't want to be judged. Listen to the words of Jesus. In John chapter 12, verse 47, he said, If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I don't judge him. So if you hear these words today and you say, I still refuse to believe, Jesus still isn't standing in judgment over you. He says, For I did not come to judge the world, but I came to save the world. So who does Jesus want to save? The whole world. For God so loved the world. 1 John 4, 14, we've seen and testified that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. You know, there's not a single person that's ever lived that God didn't want to save. That includes you and me. Now you think of the worst person you could possibly think of. For some of you, that that face pops right up. You think of the worst sinner you've ever known, ever seen. Think of the most violent criminal. Think about some sin that you despise so much, but somebody relishes it and practices it. Did Jesus come for them? The Bible says, God our Savior, this is in 1 Timothy 2.4, God our Savior desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of of the truth. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Jesus said in Matthew 9, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous... Or those who think they're righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance. That is, to turn back to me. Who did he come to save? He came to save the whole world. He came to save sinners. He came to save me. He came to save you, every one of you. You see, This makes Christmas so much more meaningful to me. Because my biggest problem was and still is sin. And it's penalty. And my greatest need is forgiveness. And God sent the greatest gift to meet my greatest need and solve my greatest problem. In the person of Jesus Christ. That makes Christmas so much more meaningful. It's not just decorations. And songs. And presents. And feasting. And family. It's all about Jesus. You know. Perhaps you're here and you think. You know that worst sinner you're trying to get me to think of? Well, I can think of no worse sinner than myself. There's some people here probably who feel that way. I know I've met some, not in this church, but outside of these buildings who, who feel that way about themselves and have even told me that. You know, that's not a bad place to be. You would be in good company if you felt that way. For it was the Apostle Paul who said to young Timothy. Remember that verse about you can take this to the bank. You put this in your pipe and smoke it. You want to hear the end of that verse? He said, this is a trustworthy saying and worthy for everyone to receive it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and I'm the worst one of all. I think God wants every one of us to get to that point. Well, we quit pointing the finger at everybody else. Y'all are screwing up the world. Oh, so-and-so is president or vice president or who's going to be president or who's not going to be president or who's this and who's in all these coronavirus, all this mess. That's, That's all our problem. Messing up the world. It's time for us to look right here. I'm the problem. My sin. The Bible says in Hebrews 7 that God is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him. God can save you completely. doesn't matter how bad of a sinner you are. God can save you. He saved Paul. Paul used his testimony as an illustration to show people how despicable of a person he was. Because before Paul was Paul, Paul was Saul. And what was Saul? Saul was at a, a participant in dragging people to the law, Christians, and accusing them and having them executed. In fact, he participated in the execution of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. We read that, about that in the book of Acts. He said, I despised Christ. I hated him. I persecuted him. And anybody that followed him... I sought to kill and destroy them. I was the worst of all sinners. If Christ can save me, he can save you. He can save to the uttermost. John the Baptist, it was, that said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what Jesus will do. Take your sin away. You see, how does he do that? Well, because Isaiah 53, 6 tells us how he does that. He says that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. What does all that mean? Wounded for my transgressions. He took my sins, punishment, and penalty. If my penalty for my sin was death and hell, Jesus took it for me. The chastisement for my peace, in other words, the beating that I deserved, that I might have peace with God, Jesus took for me. By His stripes, I'm healed. Healed of what? There's a worse sickness than coronavirus. It's called sin. By His stripes, I am healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord laid upon Jesus the iniquity, the sin of us all. Now think about this. If you're a Christian, you probably can relate. But even if you're not, you have a conscience. The Bible says in Romans 2 that even the unbeliever has a conscience. And they know when they're doing wrong. So even, so, believer or not believer, I think you can relate to this. If you do something wrong. You commit a sin. Doesn't it weigh on you? Doesn't it bother you? Doesn't it eat at you? And you just hope, especially if, you're, especially if you're not a believer, you just hope enough time passes to where you eventually forget about it and nobody else remembers it and you can kind of go on with your life. And some, some Christians even try that. And, and then they begin to accumulate. But just, you know, when I do something wrong, And I already told you, yeah, I sinned this week. It weighs me down. Something happened here Wednesday night. That I did something and spoke out of turn to an individual. And I was wrong. And it weighed me down. As soon as church was over, I had to go to that individual and make that right. Because the whole time I was standing here teaching, I felt like a hypocrite. Now imagine every sin that I'd ever committed and every sin that I ever would commit laid on me all at once. (laughs) Might as well shoot me in the head. Couldn't handle it. But then imagine all of your sins that you'd ever committed and ever will commit added to all the sins of every individual, past, present, and future laid upon one man. Jesus Christ that's what God did that's why Jesus came he bore the brunt the weight the guilt and the punishment of your sin so you wouldn't have to talk about freedom talk about Merry Christmas Merry Christmas folks that's what Jesus did You won't get a better gift. Maybe you're here and you haven't received that gift. How do you receive it? It's not difficult. You don't have any hoops to jump through. You don't have to join a church. You don't have to memorize the Ten Commandments and quote them backwards and forwards. For God so loved the world that that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes own Him. You just have to believe in Him. You have to believe that what He did when He died on that cross was for you. Do you believe that? And then you receive it for yourself. You see, at Christmas we give gifts. If you give a gift, you expect the person you're giving it to to do what? Receive it. If they don't receive it, don't open it. It's meaningless, right? Meaningless to them and meaningless to the giver. I would be offended if I gave my wife a gift today and she didn't want to receive it. You have to receive it. How do I do that? How do you receive that gift? You ask for it. You just just say, Lord, I'm I'm receiving it. You can use your own words. There's no magic words. There's no magic formula. The Bible says in Romans 10, he says, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God's raised him from the dead, we will be saved. It says, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Just call on Him. Say, Lord, I believe that what you did was for me. I I realize I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and, and you're it. Will you save me? Will you forgive me? Oh, yeah. And He will. And you'll have the merriest Christmas all year long and all the rest of your life that you've ever had. Would you bow with me? If that's you that needs to make that commitment to Christ, will you?